0: Good morning. On this beautiful day, we are going to learn today about the purification of the person that has teras. We'll both discuss the details, and we'll discuss the spiritual messages within the different rituals that were performed. Is that which I know? And um, let's do it. Yeah. So we all know what the matorah is. We discussed that already last week, yesterday. The matorah is out of the is out of the camp. He's living all by himself. However much time goes by until he's eventually. His tzuras goes away, and he sees that it's gone away. It's gone. So he sends a message to the Kohen. He couldn't go into the camp. So he sends a message to the Kohen to come and see him. And then the uh, the Kohen will come, and he will look at him, and sure enough, it was gone. So by the way, Kohen was not allowed to push you off like for an appointment of two weeks. The Kohen had a mitzvah to come. On the day that you called him, the Kohen had a mitzvah to come that very day. Drop everything, go. The person is pure. Remember I told you, when the person was de- declared impure, there were days when the Kohen would not look at him. It was by his wedding if it was a hag he wouldn't look but when he's pure you don't waste any time that day you have to go and check him out and if indeed all the symptoms of saras have gone away so then the kohen would start the following process they'll bring a new brand new earthenware bowl made out of clay from earth and they would fill it with mayim chayim what is mayim chayim living water it has to be water from a living source of water, like a stream, under a stream or a river that does not dry out more than once every seven years. They would then fill, they would take this Mayim in the in the, this living water in the vessel. He would take two birds. One bird, he would slaughter, he would shacht it, and he would drip the blood of the slaughtered bird into the uh, into the bowl. So now the water, the blood of the water is filling, you know, is is tr- changing the color of the water from white, fresh water to uh, to um, to, uh, to blood, to red. Then he would take a branch of a cedar tree, piece of cedar wood. He would take some hyssop. Hyssop is a, like a herb that grows. He would take a string of wool that was dyed crimson red. It was dyed with the blood of a talas of a worm. So it's a red dyed string. And he would tie... The cedarwood and the hyssop together with this red string. And then he would take the other bird. There were two birds. So he would take the living bird and he would dip the tied cedarwood hyssop with the string and the bird that was not tied together with them but was held together with them. He would dip them into the water that had now become full of blood. And after he dipped all four simultaneously into the liquid. He would then take from this, he would use the bundle to sprinkle of this watery liquid onto the back of the leper's hand, the matora's hand, seven times. He would then let the other bird go free. Okay, the second bird, out of the city walls, went free. He would then shave all of the hair off of this Mitzorah. Every single, single hair that grew in a visible place, and that grew in bunches. So again, the, the, the way the verses are written, is like a cloud, a prato cloud, Rashi explained, I don't get to the technicalities to prove it, but you just trust me that any hair that grew in any place that's visible in the body had to be shaved off. If even two hairs were left, it was not the kosher. And after he was shaved, he then went to the mikvah. Both him and his clothing were put into the mikvah. And then he was allowed to re-enter the camp. However, he was not pure yet. He was still considered tummy. He was still considered ritually impure. So he's allowed to enter the camp, but just like if a person was in contact with a dead body, for example. When you're in contact with a dead body, you're allowed to live at home, but you're not allowed to eat truma. You're not allowed to go into the temple, etc., etc. So all those laws of ritual impurity apply to him because he wasn't an outcast of society, so he didn't have to live out of his home. He also is not allowed to be intimate with his wife during these seven days. Okay, so he's home, but he's considered tombate. Then, Uba Yom on the eighth day, comes the second half of the purification process of this Mitzorah from his tzirahs. He would come to the base of HaMikdash, to the Mishkan, and he would bring three offerings. One was an Ola, a uh, burnt and of a offering. One was a Chatas, a sin offering for sin, and one was a guilt offering, asha. If he was wealthy and he could afford it, so he would bring a lamb. For the ashram offering, he would bring a, uh, another lamb, two lambs, uh, sorry, two two lambs as the an ashram and as the an Ola, and a female lamb as the sin offering, as the Chatas. And if he was poor, in addition to that, he would bring also a three Esronim, three like fifteen pounds of flour for the three sacrifices called the Mincha, the flour offering the one with the ashram, the Chatas, and the Ola. If he was poor and he couldn't afford these animals, so then he brought a turtle dove. Or a pigeon instead as a chatas and as the ul. So he bought birds instead of the lambs. He still bought a lamb as the asham. And he bought a much smaller minchas nisachim, which is a which is a much smaller amount of oil, of flour and oil, to accompany these birds. Okay. What would happen next? He came with these animals. He was still ritually impure. So he couldn't enter into he couldn't enter into the, the basic mikdash. Further, they would shave him again. They would shave him again on the 8th day. They shaved him on the 1st day, shaved him again on the 8th day, and they hear that grew. And then he would stand by the Shar Nikonah, which is the gate of Nikonah. This gate was right opposite the entrance to the Holy, so he could be facing, as it says in the verse, the Lifnei Hashem. He's standing before God, but he's standing outside of the actual base Mikdash or out of the actual Mishkan, so that he could see the Mishkan. He's before God, but he's not actually in the actual precincts of the... Uh, of the Mishkan. And there, the kohen will the they bring the animals. He will do smicha. If you remember, the first part of, an, of the carbon, as you rest your hands on the animal and you confess. He's standing outside. He will lean his hands inside to make the confession on the animal. And then, they will do all the regular proceedings of a regular offering. We're not going to go through it all now. The way a regular, the, the asham, the chatas, and the Olah. These three offerings. The guilt offering, the sin offering, and the ascent offering. They'll run to the altar. But in addition to that, in addition to the sprinkling of the blood, and everything that was done regularly with a regular offering, there was two additional parts that were done. One is that they, he would, they would do what's called the sprinkling of the blood on the actual mezora. So after the Kohen took the blood, if you remember, we learned when you have an offering, the Kohen would receive the blood after the slaughter and bring it to the Mizbeach, and sprinkle it on the Mizbeach, above the red line, below the red line. After he did all of that, he would come back to the Mitzor, who who is still standing by the gate of the Besar Mikdash, and he would sprinkle, he would, take in his, he would take blood into his left hand, and then he would use his right finger to put from the blood in his left hand, he would place some blood on his the right ear, the right earlobe of the Mitzorah, on the right thumb of the Mitzorah, and on the right foot, the right toe, the right big toe of the, the Torah. So the Koh was standing inside and he was standing outside he put it on those three places. Is that the same procedure that... For the them to be inaugurated, yes. Same procedure. And this is a decree of Hashem's Torah that these are the three places where you put it, the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right toe. Um, I read that when Rifka, not Rifka, when Rachel was supposed to marry Yaakov, what was the clue that she gave him that he would know that it was Rachel? Torah doesn't say, what was the clue? But once I remember, what was the clue that the, the secret code between Yaakov and his love, Rachel, that he would know that it's Rachel, not Leia was that when they got into bed, she would touch him on his right earlobe, right thumb, and right toe. That was, the, that was the secret code. Anyway, but I don't know more about why. I'm very fascinated about these three places. You know, a cohen, I told you, to run. to people, run to do for people, give to people. It doesn't explain here why. Um, and in addition to the blood, he would also sprinkle oil. The oil that the kohen would take from the oil of the offering, and he would sprinkle it seven times toward the holy of holies, and then after sprinkling it seven times towards the holy of holies, he would then walk to the leper, the metzora, and he would put some on his right ear, on his right thumb, on his right toe, and then the metzora would uh, eat the of the offerings, and that would be the purification of the of the of the person that had. Um OK, now, what's the symbolism of these objects? You ready for the symbolism? So why did he bring, first of all, a living bird and a dead bird, which is what uh, Robert wanted to know. So the birds, in general, why birds? Before we get to live and the dead, why birds? Birds chat. They chirp, right? You have Twitter. Twitter's a big uh, idea of birds. They're like chatterers. The the, the the metaphor of someone that's a chatterer and a slanderer and a gossiper is a bird that's twitting and twittering away. So therefore we use bird to remind the person of the fact that he had been a, a chatterer talking gossip of other people. And we kill one and we let one go free to remind him that if you will stop talking to Ras, then stop talking to her, I mean, and now you maintain your improved, spiritual, you know, teshuvah and your, your new spiritual standard of rehabilitation, and just like the, the the dead bird will never come back to life, so too your terasa will never return. But if you're going to continue chattering like the living bird, and just like the living bird could fly back, so too your terasa will come back. Okay? So you'll be silent like the dead bird, and then your terasa won't come back. If you're going to chatter, the terasa will come back. Um, and then we take together a cedar tree or a branch of a cedar tree and a hyssop. What's a cedar tree? The cedar is the most high, exalted of all the trees. It's a Big, strong, very haughty looking tree. To so tell a person, why did you speak bad about other people? Because you were had ego. You were full of yourself. You had uh, gaiva. You had, uh, you know, um, haughtiness. And therefore, you need to become humble like a hyssop. A hyssop is a little leaf, you know, not a leaf, it's a plant that grows on the ground. So you need to be humble, like the hyssop, to do teshuva. And that's why we tie it together with the string that's dyed red. Red is a color of sin. However, if you do teshuva, as Yishayu says, your im yadimu if your sins will be red like crimson wool, then you'll be purified. Katzamer yi, they'll become pure like snow, they'll become pure like white, and they'll be purified. And that's why the string was dyed with a telas. A telas is a worm. A worm is a very lowly creature. They crawl in the dirt. To remind the person that your string became dyed red because you behaved like a lowly worm. You behaved in a very immature way. That's why you were uh, brought to this level of being, uh, uh, you know, excommunicated and sent outside of the camp all by yourself. And then they take this earthenware vessel, and by the way, they break it. I forgot to say one thing. After the earthenware vessel is used to sprinkle the water and the blood, they break the vessel. It is never used again. It's a one-time use. Why do they break the vessel? To remind the person that you are like earth. Not you are like earth. You are earth. What's the person made out of? Dust of the ground. Earth. So you are an earthenware vessel. And you are frail. And you are vulnerable. And one day, you will die. And you will be uh, buried. We have a funeral this afternoon. So that's the reminder of the broken earthenware vessel that your life, if you're going to waste it on chatter and on gossip and on idle things, your life will be meaningless. And that's what they put in the Mayim Chayim, the living water, the fresh living water. What does Mayim represent? Mayim water is a metaphor for Torah, correct? Like water descended from on high down below. So to Torah, especially if you're talking about Mayim Chayim, living water, that's the water of Torah. And the Tel Avapurus, sprinkle this living water seven times. Why seven times? Seven is the number of books in the Torah. Yes, normally we think there's five books. But if you remember in the book of Baalos, in the book of Bamidvar, in the parash of Ba'alosha, before and after the, the traveling of the Aron, there's an upside-down nun to separate the book into three books. So there's one way of counting the books of the Torah, not as five books, but as seven books. So seven books of the Torah, seven sprinklings. In addition... Remember last week I told you the Gemara says that there's seven reasons why a person gets tzaras. So he sprinkled seven times to atone for the seven causes of tzaras.